Okay, so uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, we got a special guest on the show today. Uh, we've got a special guest for what will be a special weekend, the 10-year anniversary of the 2011 team. Carson, I'm bummed. I go to almost every Oklahoma State home football game. This is one I'm missing, and it's it's really bad timing. Not a good game to miss. Yeah, it's a it's a ranked matchup on top of the just the reunion. I guess Brandon Whedon's going to be there. They're doing this VIP thing where Rashawn Woods was the VIP last last week. So a lot of the former players are going to be there, and we're going to talk here in just a few minutes with Josh Cooper, one of Brandon Whedon's favorite targets off that 2011 team. Uh, get his thoughts on the reunion, getting the gang back together, just his thoughts on that 2011 season. It's been in the news this week because Mike Gundy had some quotes about them for the reunion and how he thought they were the best team in the country. And I would definitely agree with that. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit. We one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the show. I guess we'll call Josh Cooper our, our Chris's University Spirit guest of the week. Colby, what do you remember about 2011? I know you're a lot younger than me, but man, that was a, an absolute thrill ride. Carson, I remember everything about that 2011 season. That was the first semester of my freshman year at Oklahoma State. I was 19 years old, been an Oklahoma State fan my entire life, and I was in the student section. I mean, that was campouts intense. That was you needed to be down in that first section. It was rowdy. It was loud. It was it was awesome, man. It was an unbelievable start to my uh, my college career, if you will, my, my time at Oklahoma State. And, I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that 2011 season. And it was that feeling of, I don't want to call it invincibility, but it's like we went to the stadium every Saturday and we knew, we knew we were going to see something special. And we knew Oklahoma State wasn't getting beat. What were the home games that year? Louisiana, Arizona, Kansas, Baylor, Kansas State, and Oklahoma. That Kansas State game, whoo, buddy. We didn't do for 502 in that game. Blackman had 172. Uh, pardon me, 205 for Blackman in that game. It was that season was incredible. It was special. It's something that I don't know that we'll see duplicated uh, at Oklahoma State. No doubt. I covered that team almost every game. I was going through the schedule. I think I only missed a couple of games. I think it was the Iowa State game I missed and uh, the Baylor drubbing, I think, were the only two games that I missed. But that was an absolute, absolute thrill ride. And uh, it looks like our guest is ready to go here, uh, Colby. I'll We'll bring in Josh Cooper. We'll admit him on the old Zoom, and uh, we'll, we'll get right to the interview. Josh, you there? Yeah, how's it going, man? Good, man. It's This, this is Carson, and I got my, my co-host on with me, Colby Powell. We, uh, we appreciate you joining us today. Do you feel old yet since this is the 10-year anniversary of uh, 2011? Oh, man, time is flying by, ain't it? I can't believe it's been 10 years. Well, are you, uh, tell us, are you, are you going up to Stillwater for this reunion? How many of your, your fellow teammates are making it? And just tell us just what all, what all y'all, you guys are going to be doing on Saturday. Yeah, we're going down. Um, I'm going to watch the game with the Chelsea and their suite. So that'd be pretty cool. Um, it's been a couple of years since I've been back, but I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, we'll go down there and, uh, enjoy the tailgate that they got. They're going to put on for us. And, you know, I think there's a number of us going, um, Oh, Nick Martinez, uh, you know, the Chelps, like I said, Whedon, a few others, uh, I'm sure will be there, but it's going to be a good time. 
Yeah, that 2011 season was so special, Josh. I was telling Carson right before you joined us, that was my uh, – that was the first semester I was at Oklahoma State. I was a freshman that fall, and I remember going to Boone Pickens every Saturday, and you just knew that it was going to be something special. So you look back at that, and, I mean, how does that feel for you a decade later knowing that you were a huge part of the greatest team in school history? You were the second-leading receiver on that team. A couple of times that year you had double-digit receptions, more than 100 yards uh, in games, and you expect – to get on and look at the the season schedule from that year and just see the high receiver for every game be Justin Blackman. That's what you expect to see. Uh, you actually were the leading receiver for the team four times that year and a big part of that 2011 team. So what does it mean to you knowing that you were part of the best team in school history? You know, it's humbling um, just to be able to go back with, with the, the number of guys that we had. And, you know, you mentioned – just that that team that year, but it really just goes back to those guys before us, man. Like the the older guys, like Seth Newton and Zach Robinson and uh, Waller and Nathan Peterson, that kind of got things really rolling folk on the state. You know, they were they were in the trenches when they were kind of bad, but they were kind of getting on the map and became decent, and then it kind of just rolled into it. So a lot of those guys is what I kind of look up to, and then we just kind of took that momentum and just kept rolling with it, man. But we had some great playmakers and um, our whole receiving core was, was absolutely, you know, great. Um, you know, like you said, Blackman, what a, what a player he was, you know, the, the Weedman black, Weedman Blackman tandem. Um, and then of course, Joseph Randall, the backfield, uh, it just, it was, it was hard to stop us. So it was just, it's just great to reminisce on all those memories and those big time games, man. I hung out with Seth Newton and Nathan Peterson. I'm glad you respect your elders, Josh. Us old folks need some <laughs> shout-outs sometimes. Uh, those are my boys, man. Oh, they're great guys. I, I love those guys to death. They were they were yeah. great football players, too. Well, Josh, yeah. you, you mentioned kind of the, the years leading up to that. I remember being at Media Days for the 2011 season, and there was a lot of you know optimism, of course, with the way the 2010 season went, the, the way you guys ended the year just stomping Arizona in the bowl game. At what point in Never. the season – no, I'm saying the year before in 2010, oh, year before, they destroyed 2010, in the Alamo Bowl. Oh, yeah. And at what point, Josh, was there a game early on in the schedule? Was it even just camp leading up to the season where you guys kind of realized amongst yourselves, like, we've got something special here? Oh, I think we knew in the offseason that, you know, if we had a good offseason and we worked hard, we'd, we'd be rolling in 2011 as a, you know, top top team to beat, you know, and, you know, that's how it was. But I think once the season, you know, actually started, um, I, I'm sure everybody you talk to goes back to that A&M game. I mean, it was the first Big 12 game we had. Um, we were both top 10 teams. I don't know if we were a dog in that game or not. I can't really remember that. But um, just winning that game and that kind of gave us all the momentum momentum rolling into you know the big 12 play and all that so I think that's what really started it um and if I remember correctly Gundy that was the first time he danced so uh <laughs> I know we got a hand in that too that the locker room dances was pretty cool so uh, yeah I think it was just really the A&M game man yeah that was the first time that he danced but I was curious about the week before I want a behind the scenes story from what was taking place for the four to five hours that you all had to wait for the rain to pass before you kicked off against Tulsa. Oh my gosh. Uh, I think, I don't know, for whatever reason, uh, I was down back at my parents' house that weekend, and I was sitting in the living room of my parents' house at 4 a.m. watching Oklahoma State football. So I want to know <laughs> behind the scenes, what was taking place for four to five hours as y'all were waiting to play a football game in the middle of the night? 
I think we were just kind of playing a lot of games in the locker room and uh, eating, eating whatever we could, really, just to kind of stay energetic. And uh, I know the fans probably had a great time with that because they got to go back out to the bars and, you know, have a few cold pops until midnight kickoff. So I couldn't – it was it was rowdy. I'm sure, you know, some people went home, but the ones that stayed were, were you know, having a good time and feeling pretty rowdy. Uh, as for us, we just kind of hung out, man, and, you know, just played some cards, and I'm sure we had some dice rolling here and there. So it was, it was a good time, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's I was, one you'll never forget too, though, for sure. Yeah, that was crazy. That was one of the, I think, the three games that I was not at that year. I covered your team that year, and I was in uh, Tallahassee covering OU Florida State that night. And that was a night kick, primetime game. I was able to drive all the way to my hotel in like South Georgia and watch the entire second half. That's how late <laughs> that that floor that uh, that OSU Tulsa game ended. But I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the AM game. That. To me, I just have that image of, of Whedon running down the sideline, fist pumping, and you guys were off. You just oh, yeah. you just scored 70 on, on Kansas, 56 in the first half. And a game mm-hmm. that really was was closer than than a lot of people remember is the, is the game in Austin. And, of course, you know, in years prior, OSU had such a tough time beating Texas. They would get up in the first half, and Texas would ultimately come back and win. That was kind of a – one of the games where the offense wasn't just lights out the whole game. What do you remember about that game in Austin? Cause it, it ended up, you ended up winning by double digits, but it was a, a really close back and forth battle. Hmm. Austin. Um, you scored a touchdown. You scored the first much. touchdown of the game. If, if I recall, I think you scored a touchdown Did over I? the middle. Yeah. I may have been tack. I think I was tackled on the one. That's right. I think yeah, they you called were. me down. And uh, I just remember reaching over the goal line and, and fumbling the ball, which, you know, I was down, but, I'm going to run off the field, you know, think I'd get a high five, but Gunny was just like, you better tuck that ball. Make sure that ball's tucked. I'm just thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to get in the end zone, brother. But uh, I don't remember a lot from that game. Like you said, uh, I know it was a dog fight um, for the first half and then we pulled away. But I mean, that's really it. I had a guy um, who Scott Wright asked me about the Baylor game. If I remember anything from that, from that season as well, since we're playing them this week and I, not a lot. I mean, I remember being off the field because I think the score half for the Baylor game was 49 to three. So I remember <laughs> not playing a lot in that game. Um, but there's really just those few games that stick out to me, man, that the ones that just really were the turning points for us. Like you said, the, the Tulsa game, I remember coming back into uh, Stillwater on the bus, pulling into Stillwater at like five thirty or six, we, you know, we got to see the, the sun kind of coming up a little bit and then, had to be back up at the uh, at the school for meetings at you know nine thirty ten o'clock, which was like, can they not give us a little more rest here? <laughs> um, other than that, man, not a lot from the Texas game though. Um, we had their number, I guess, few few times though. So, yeah, one of the most fun games I've ever been to in Boone Pickens Stadium was the Kansas State game in that twenty eleven year. Now, were you hurt for that Kansas State game? Because you're not popping up on the box scores anywhere. So, were you out that night? Yeah, I think I had a pulled hamstring at that time. Those hammies, man, they get you. Okay, so so you had <laughs> so. to watch that game just like the rest of us, and that was – you talk about a nail-biter. That was an intense football game. So what was that like for you being such a contributor all year? And then one of the biggest games of the season is coming right down to the wire, and you are powerless having to watch it as a fan like the rest <sighs> of us. Yeah, that, that's tough when you're standing on the sideline when you see your guys, you know, out there battling back and forth. Um K State, they're just a, a ground and pound kind of team, just kind of like they still are. Um, but uh, that was tough sitting there and biting my nails the whole time. Pretty sure I didn't have any fingernails after that game. <laughs> uh, so it would have been nice to be on the field and 
helping those guys out, but they, uh, they, they had it pretty much handled. So. Well, and, and Josh, you were in the receiver room with who I believe is the best college wide receiver of all time. I think you put, you can put up Justin Blackman's numbers against Larry Fitzgerald, Michael Crabtree, they're better. And then he just passes the eye test with just how physically dominant he was. Absolutely. What was it like being in the receiver room with him, watching him at practice? Just what, just can you speak to from a receiver's perspective, just how, how great the guy was? Uh, he's just one of those guys that can really just kind of turn it on when he wants. You know, he's really laid back, dude, as y'all know, and um, pretty carefree. Um, but I think once he gets on that football field, he just kind of turns it on. He, he turns into a different person. You know what I'm saying? He's uh, mm. I don't I. I never saw it like, you know, the first couple of years, you know, it was kind of just just Justin Blackman. It was just a, another guy, you know, what, what a two or three star out of plain view. And, and then all of a sudden it was just, he decided to turn it on and uh, maybe it was the offensive scheme that changed. That was great for him. And, and I think at one point at the beginning, they had him in the slot, which was, you know, kind of different for him. He need to be an outside receiver as everybody knows, but, um, he was just one of those guys that uh, he just turned it on, man. And, and when he did, it was there was no stopping him. I mean, it was kind of uh, the same thing with Dez. You know, he was – I mean, he was a fiery guy a lot of times. But when he got on that football field, it was – he just knew he couldn't be stopped, just like Justin. So. Yeah. And obviously his, his personal struggles are, are well-known, are Justin's. And I'm curious if you've heard if he's going to be there at the reunion, if you've had any – he's kind of – He's kind of an enigma. We haven't we haven't heard from him in a few years. But do you, do you know his whereabouts or if he's going to come to the reunion at all? You know, the last time I talked to him, it was probably two or three years ago, and I think he was still. I mean, I think he was living in Ardmore at the time, um, but I haven't heard anything from him. I may try to reach out to him um, tomorrow to see what his plans are, and hopefully we can get him down there because it'd be nice to you know see that guy as a. Cause, I mean, it'd be nice for everybody to see that guy because everybody loves him, and he was just a big part of – a huge part of that year. So, Yeah, he'll forever hold a special place in the hearts of Oklahoma State fans. And, uh, Josh, we do have to talk about the, just the one night everybody doesn't ever want to talk about. To me, uh, what I think will always be probably the worst day in the history of Oklahoma State athletics. I remember waking up that morning to the news of the plane crash. I remember walking across campus that day. I was a student. And I remember walking across campus that day because it was a weekday, Thursday or Friday night game, Friday night, I believe. Um, Walking across campus, it was somber, man. The the weather was bad. Nobody was talking. It was was a weird atmosphere. It just – everything felt off. And then the football game that night, uh, everything felt off. Whedon throws three picks. Uh, Quinn Sharp makes a field goal that's ruled no good. And you fall in in double overtime to Iowa State, and it ends up being a huge factor at the end of the year – um, what was that day and that game like from inside the locker room? I mean, you said it. It was somber. It was somber as ever. Um, there was something much bigger going on, you know, for all of us in our hearts and for the whole, you know, OSU family that was – it was bigger than that game. Um, that's hard to say because a lot of things aren't really bigger than a football game like that, but it was. And it was hard to go out and play. Um, you know, you can't sit here and just blame it all on that, but um, it, I think it had a very large impact on the game. Uh, I think once it was over, it was it was kind of like a 
like a release, you know, you could just kind of sit there and kind of uh, go over what you just went through throughout the whole day and not worry about the game anymore. You know, it was, so it was a big, big impact. And it's, it's still hard to even think about that day. Um, not just for the game, but for all the basketball coaches and all that. So it was, it was difficult, man, but um I wish we could have got out of that game with the win, but you know that sometimes refs don't make the right call when a on a field goal. So um, you know how that goes. Yeah, I mean, how could it not have had an effect? It just it, it had to. Yeah. It's just we're, we're all human beings, but you guys had to kind of get over it quickly because you had Bedlam the next week. I know that I know it's a blur ten years later, but I gotta think you remember the Bedlam game and how 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 that whooping occurred. Just what what <laughs> sticks out when you think back to that that night in Stillwater winning the big 12 title and beating your arch rival? Um, the defense. I mean, you know, we talk about the offense so much, but we allowed, you know, 10 points in that game against OU that had a, a explosive offense. Um, of course we put a whooping on, on offense as well, but, uh, I think really the, the celebration after just, I, I was, I remember sitting up in the stands and coach, you know, Doug Meacham, my receivers coach was sitting up there and the, the, the goalpost went right over us. I mean, it was just, it was a beautiful sight. And that's something that you'll, you'll never forget. Um, especially winning that big 12 title and, and beating your in-state rival. So, um, really just, uh, seeing that sea of orange on the field was something I'll never forget about it. Yeah. And I mean that, that game and that season holds such special places uh, with all Oklahoma State fans, for me, that Bedlam game was the first game that I went to with my new girlfriend, who I then proceeded to marry a few years later and is still my wife. We now have a kid on the way. That was the first game we ever went to together. We jumped the wall together. We were on the field together. It you guys was peaked early. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, big time. The first game we ever went to together was beating OU to win the Big 12 championship. So that was uh, yeah. the pinnacle about two weeks into our relationship. Uh, so then, Josh, I mean – Obviously, you have that great season, and then we are all sitting around waiting for all these BCS bowls to drop and the BCS National Championship game to be announced. And it is announced that LSU and Alabama will play for the national title after the 9-6 to barn burner that they had already played in the first <laughs> And the physical sickness that took me over, I imagine, was multiplied by times 100 in that locker room. Oh, it was heartbreaking, man. So we were all sitting there in the the meeting room, just waiting for our name to be called to go play in that natty, and uh, you know, it never happened. Um, you know, it was out of our control, but you know, apparently Nick Saban or somebody had a say in who got to go. One of the five, you know, college coaches that gets to make a decision, which is kind of some bull, but uh, that's that's what happened. And uh, you know, there's uh it's, it's a bummer. It never, we never got to play in it because I think we would have matched up real, real nice with LSU. So, yeah, Mike, Mike has mentioned that just uh, what, what, what is it about the matchup with LSU that, that you guys like so much? Cause I, I agree with, with you and Mike that I, I think you would have beat LSU, but what, what was it about the matchup itself that, that you thought you guys could, could beat them? Well, typically LSU, I, I'm pretty sure was a man team. They like to run a lot of one high and, bring down and play man because they're used to you know ground and pound with most teams in the sec but uh i think the with our you know how fast we we were going that year and how many plays we run they we just tire them out i mean that was that's how we looked at it and it's too bad and we never got to find out if that would have been the case or not um 
but uh, I just I would I I was looking forward to a matchup with you know the the what do you call them the honey badger and stuff and uh, <laughs> I thought it would have been nice to to see what we could have done against them but like I said I never got the opportunity. Yeah, I know Carson believes, I believe, Gundy believes, most of the Oklahoma State fan base believes that if you all had the chance to play LSU, that you win that game. The matchup just would have been almost perfect with the way y'all were playing that season. But it doesn't work out. You end up facing off against Andrew Luck, number one pick, uh, greatest quarterback prospect to come out in the last 20 years is what they were hailing him as. So you go, you play Stanford, you get down, come back, end up winning that game in overtime. And that was a big, big deal, uh, even though you didn't get to play for the national championship. So what was that night like in Arizona winning such a classic 41 to 38 overtime game? It was amazing. Um, I I remember Stanford kind of kicking themselves in in their own own butt, um, you know, missing three field goals. uh, Probably would have made a little bit of a difference for them. (laughs) But – no, that was that was great, man. I think Blackman would he go off two hundred and ninety yards or something like something crazy like that in that game. Uh, that was awesome to see. And then I mean, Colton, I remember Chelf making a huge play at the end of the game to uh, when we were in overtime to to get that game winner set up, and then just getting to celebrate with all the guys after the game and celebrate with all the coaches is something that you know I'll never forget as well. Uh, just, just an unbelievable season we had, and I, there's just those few games, like I said, that stick out, man. But uh, just, it's just gonna be so great to catch up with these guys this weekend. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, when you, when you see Colton, if you see him in the, in the Chelf suite, tell, tell him I thought he scored, and I'm sure you guys did too, because that would have been the perfect way to end the game. I think we all did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, if his arms were a little bit longer, I had a two-team parlay going that. that <laughs> The first leg hit, the second leg of the two-team parlay was Oklahoma State minus three and a half. Colton Chelsea oh. scores. Oklahoma State goes up by six. Everyone's celebrating. The game is over. I've hit my parlay. I've made a couple hundred bucks, and I'm 19 at the time, so that's a, a good thing. It's a good uh-huh. thing. And then they review it. They take it back. Gundy then runs the offense on the field. I'm like, they're going to score anyway. All they're doing is sitting, setting Quinn Sharp up for a bunny, and I lose my parlay. <laughs> I was so bitter that Colton Chelf came up about half a yard short of hitting oh, the parlay for me. That's a bad beat there, man. Those those hooks, those hooks will get you every time. <laughs> yeah, he, he's not bitter or anything. But, Josh, yeah. we, we really appreciate your time. But one more question before we let you yeah. go. Just – so that season happens. It's just this magical ride, and then it's over in the blink of an eye. And I know you had a, a really great relationship with Brandon Whedon, still do. You get the opportunity. You know, I'm sure you're wondering what's next at that point. You get the opportunity to go play in Cleveland with Brandon. Uh, just tell us just about your first your relationship with Brandon because you guys had such a special chemistry on the field, and then just the opportunity, what it was like going to the NFL. Yeah, um, I think when I saw him get drafted. Uh, or I guess when my agent called me to sign with somebody for agency, he said, you know, Cleveland wants you. They want you bad because Whedon's there. And I said, well, I didn't even listen to his other offers on anything. I just said, yeah, let's go to Cleveland. And uh, it was just great to be there. I mean, I I was fortunate enough to um, make the practice squad, you know, my first year for five or six weeks and got promoted to active. I uh, got to play a little bit, had great coaches. I wish we could have had the same coaching staff, you know, at least for a, a couple of years. We had different coaching staffs each year, um, which was pretty difficult. And 
I'm sure it was a lot more difficult for Whedon because it's a different playbook to learn every year. Um, but that being said, I met a lot of great people there. And uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to live with Whedon and his wife, Melanie, which, you know, I love, love them to death. They're great people, um, you know, while I was going through camp. So I had some people that I knew, which made it a lot easier because me coming from Mustang, I, I hadn't really been out of Oklahoma my whole life. So uh, it was nice to have some, I guess you'd call it family around me while I was there. And it made it a lot easier. So, um, yeah, it was just great, man. It was, it was a great time. Met a lot of great people. And uh, I'm glad I made it to that level. Yeah, you deserve to. Uh, I got, I lied. One more question. What, what are you doing nowadays? Let the people know uh, who are listening just what you're up to these days. Uh, I was coaching. I coached for about five or six years. I've uh, been to, you know, coached Mustang at Deer Creek at uh, CCS there in Norman. Uh, me and my dad have a uh, construction business that we run together. Um, and I just recently took a superintendent job for a home builder, old Ross Flinton Homes. So nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the construction business. So, yeah. Well, Josh, it. Josh, it was a, a magical year, one I'll never forget. I'm sure you as well. And we, we really appreciate your time, man. Have fun up there in Stillwater. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. All right, Josh. We'll see you later. Bye. Colby, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. He was great. It's, uh, it's fun to have that guy on and get inside that 2011 season. It was so much fun. Like I said, I'm so bummed I won't be at Boone Pickens this weekend. It's, it's reunion weekend. We're actually going to be at my wife's high school reunion, uh, Booker T in Tulsa Friday and Saturday night. I was really hoping if Baylor had been an 11 a.m. kick, I'd have been there. If Baylor had been a 2.30 kick, I'd have been there. Of course, it's a 6 o'clock kick, so I won't be there. But it's going to be a lot of fun for everyone who is there. And that 2011 team will get some much-deserved recognition because it was the best team in school history, if not for a flaw in the system that allowed LSU and Alabama to rematch. I think it would be a national championship winning Oklahoma State football team. And gosh, they were fun to watch, man. That was that was a fun year in my life for sure. Yeah, I mean, I remember they put up the, the blind resumes between Oklahoma State and Alabama and they weren't close. But you had people like Herb Street on TV going, well, they just look better. They passed the eye test. They're just they just look like a better. Well, why do we play the year? Why do we play the season if the resume doesn't matter? So that, that was frustrating. But I didn't really get a chance to share my thoughts on the year because we were bringing Josh on. But, you know, I was covering that team. It's my first year at Channel 5. I went on the road for a lot of those road games. I was at the A&M game. I was at the Missouri game. I was at the Texas game. Almost all the, the road games. And it was, it was so, it's so much more fun, too, being on the road covering the team because, like, it's basically just the team – and then yourself, and then maybe a couple other media members, and then everyone else in the stadium is just yelling at at, at OSU. It's it's all, and you get to go back toward the the away locker room to where you're walking through all the fans and stuff like that. So it was, it was almost like I was along for the ride myself, getting to cover that team. And that's 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 a year that will always stand out to me as one of my most enjoyable in my career because, obviously, what they did on the field, but they had just a bunch of great dudes. Jamie Blatnick was was a ton of fun to talk to. Brandon Whedon, I would interview like three separate times on Mondays just because he was so good. And then Cooper, all those guys. Uh, it was it was just a fun year and, and clearly the, the best team in school history. And I'm like you, they they should have played for the title, but uh, what are you going to do? But Colby, we got a big game this weekend on Saturday. You're not going to be there, but OSU Baylor, I thought it was so appropriate, Colby. We can break down the game a little bit, but I thought it was interesting that, that Robert Griffin III will be on the call. How appropriate is that being the 2011 anniversary? He went 0-3 and, 
in Stillwater. And there was a lot of hype surrounding him coming into that game in Stillwater because he was getting a lot of Heisman love. So was Brandon and, and Blackman. But man, the way they just molly whopped RG3 in Stillwater, that was one of the highlights of the season. Yeah, it was. It, RG3 does not have good memories in Boone Pickens Stadium. I have a question. How do you feel in general about alums being on the call for their own school's games? I mean, it it doesn't bother me, really, honestly. I think I think Dusty Dvorak did a great job calling the OU Florida game in the, uh, in the Cotton Bowl last year. I, I think if they're professional, they don't let it show too much or at all, really. And I think, I think Herb Street has always done a good job when he calls Ohio State games. I think, I think most of them realize they have a job to do, and they almost are overly not homers. So, you know what I'm saying? They almost favor the other team just to prove that they're not you know, a homer. So this is his first season, though. We'll, we'll have to see how, how he handles that. But for the most part, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, it doesn't really bother me either. I see, you know, some people get upset about it from time to time. It doesn't really bother me. They're professionals. I think that they do a good job whenever they're put in that situation. But RG3 might have a little uh, a little PTSD whenever he walks in to Boone Pickens Stadium because, I mean, if there's ever been a great player who's had just a worse time in one stadium, I'd like to see it because Robert Griffin III came into Boone Pickens Stadium, and he didn't just get beat, Carson. I mean, every time he walked in the doors, he got embarrassed and, I mean, just put down by that Oklahoma State defense. So, it would be kind of cool having him in the building. I tell you what, though, uh, this game, you know, top 25 matchup, three-and-a-half-point line, it's, it's being billed as a pretty good game. I don't know that I see it that way. Carson, I think Baylor's win last week was a big-time fluke. I don't think that they are a very good team, and I th- actually think that this game could get out of hand. I'm totally with you. I mean – it's weird though. Hasn't the point spread moved in Baylor's direction, which just stuns me. I'm looking at it right now, still at three and a half and Oklahoma state is juiced on the three and a half side, which I think is fairly close to where it started. But let me read off some of these numbers from last week's uh, Baylor win over Iowa state. It was a win. It was a fluke. Iowa state had 27 first downs. Baylor had 15. Iowa state had 479 total yards. Baylor had 282. Uh, Iowa State had 100-plus more passing yards. Iowa State had 93 more rushing yards than Baylor did. Baylor had nine penalties for 100 yards compared to to Iowa State's three for 25. Iowa State had 10 more minutes time of possession. Each side had one turnover. Iowa State just made every possible mistake you can make in special teams. They had a deflected punt go 20 yards that led to a Baylor field goal. Iowa State missed a field goal. Iowa State allowed a 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. A 41-yard punt return late in the game gave Baylor a field goal. I mean, so many things went wrong. I just think it was a very fluky win for Baylor, and I think it has people excited about what I still don't think is a very good football team. Uh, Their first three games, Baylor goes out. They play absolute cupcakes. Texas State, who they beat by nine in week one, and then they beat up on Texas Southern and Kansas. All of a sudden, they get one fluky win against an Iowa State team that we really don't even know if Iowa State's good, and now they're top 25, and we think that they're a good team. I don't totally buy it. I think Baylor's going to be put back in their appropriate place in Boone Pickett Stadium on Saturday night. Yeah, it. The, my only concern is that it looks too easy, right? <laughs> I mean, Baylor, they haven't beaten a team with a pulse I mean, other than Iowa State. They beat Kansas, Texas Southern, Texas State by nine. And how good's Iowa State? They almost lost to Northern Iowa. They've now lost to Baylor and and they lost to Iowa, the Hawkeyes. 
I don't think, I think Iowa state obviously was overvalued coming into the year based on what they've put on the field, even though they did gain a lot of yards against Baylor. And look, I, I like Dave Aranda. I think he's a good defensive coach, much in the mold of a Matt rule, whether he's as good as Matt rule. I, I have questions because Matt rule was a sensational coach, but I just, you look at the Baylor team last year. I know they had some COVID issues, but they hardly won any games last year. The OSU seems to be rolling on offense. If I was in Vegas, Colby, I'd be laying, I'd be laying a few, uh, a few nickels on on Oklahoma State. I, I really, I really would. Yeah, I think it's a bad matchup for Baylor too. I mean, Baylor's a team that wants to run the ball. I think you look at what they've done over their first few games. Uh, I mean, in the two games that have really been games for Baylor, which was Week One against Texas State, they threw for 148 yards. And last week against Iowa State, Baylor threw for 159 yards. And I just don't think that you're going to beat Oklahoma State's front seven on the ground. I really don't. I, I think that Oklahoma State will have the ability to force Baylor to beat them through the air. And I don't think Jerry Bohannon can do that. I mean, he threw for his, his high on the season throwings 269 against Kansas. That's fine. Uh, but I, I don't think he'll have a good day through the air. I, I don't know. It, it kind of depends. You know, one thing Oklahoma State did so well last Saturday against Kansas State is they got on them early and forced Kansas State to get out of their comfort zone. I think you'd like to do something similar against Baylor if you can. You get up early, you force them to chase. They're not going to be good at that. On the flip side, let's say a couple of fluky things happen in the first quarter. Baylor returns a kickoff for a touchdown, and they get a pick six, and they're up 14 to nothing. Well, now Baylor can maybe get into a comfort zone. So I think that you need to take them out of what they want to do early. But even if you don't, uh, even if they get up early and you have to play them in a close game, I still think Oklahoma State's the better team. Uh, but if you get on them early like you did Kansas State and force them to do things that they don't want to do, that's when I think that this game could get out of hand. So hopefully, uh, game starts at 6, hopefully at about 7 o'clock Saturday night, we're looking at an Oklahoma State team that's up two or three touchdowns, and Baylor's trying to have to chase, and then they will be the ones to start making mistakes. So uh, just don't make mistakes. Don't do anything crazy. And Oklahoma State has a better team with better players and better coaches and should be able to take care of business Saturday night. I think you're right about that. If I had two concerns, though, one would be the rushing ability of Bohannon. You mentioned he's not a great thrower, and he's not. He has rushed for over nearly 30 yards in his last three games. He's got 105 yards and four rushing touchdowns on the year. I, that's a challenge, I think. It's a, kind of a newer challenge for this OSU defense. Now, I know the K-State, the Will Howard kid can run a little bit, but I don't think he's the runner of a Bohannon. This is a different type of challenge for the OSU defense when they're on third down. How many times have we seen quarterbacks on third down drop back to pass, wait out the coverage, and then just take off and get the first down? That That's a concern for me with how great OSU's third down conversion defense has been. It's a, it's a different type of challenge, and I'm a little worried about special teams. I mean, their coverage has mostly been good this year, but they gave up the one to, to K-State. And we know Baylor exploited Iowa State special teams and the kicking situation for OSU. Alex Hale has has not been the same player since he injured his knee in the warmups of Bedlam. He's wearing kind of a, a knee brace on that on his plant foot. But uh, those are those are two concerns I would have, Colby, if um, if if Baylor were to come in there and win. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can see it again. To to lose this game, I think some fluky things would have to happen. It's just like with Iowa State last week. Iowa State doesn't lose unless some fluky things happen. But that's that's a tough way to pick a game is to say, well, what if they get a kick return and then all of a sudden Alex Hale misses a couple field goals and those things could happen. Those things happened last week against Kansas State. But again, that's why I think that this is almost a perfect spot for Oklahoma State to be playing Baylor because Baylor, I don't think they're a great team, but I think they're good enough that they could sneak up on somebody. 
That's what happened last week against Iowa State. I don't think there's going to be any sneaking up on Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, you know, that win against Kansas State last week was just taking care of business. It wasn't some big emotional win. Whereas I think for Baylor, I think it was a big emotional win, just barely knocking off Iowa State right there at the end. I think that that was a big high that they'll be coming off of. Also, I think that Oklahoma State made their mistakes in special teams in the appropriate game where those mistakes didn't hurt them. You want to learn from those mistakes. You have to make them and learn from them. But if you make them in a game that you lose, they hurt. You made a bunch of special teams mistakes last week, and they didn't burn you. So this week, you're able to learn from those. You put more of an emphasis on kick returns. You put more of an emphasis on Alex Hale being confident and being good to go. Maybe Gundy, if it's a 48-yard field goal or something and it's fourth and two, maybe he decides to go for it, and they pick up the first down and go down the field and score. I just feel like... The way Baylor's coming in off the emotional high of the big win, the way Oklahoma State's coming in off of what was a pretty easy win against Kansas State, but it certainly wasn't pretty, especially in the special teams department. I think that that's a good time for Oklahoma State to stay focused, stay locked in, and not overlook a Baylor team that maybe they would have overlooked if Iowa State would have gone out and beaten them by three touchdowns. What's your pick? My pick, I'm going to go Oklahoma State – Feeling a little more confident after last week. Last week, there was a defensive touchdown, but Oklahoma State did cross the 30-point threshold. Have not scored in either of the two previous second halves. Uh, let's say Baylor doesn't get to 20. Baylor will score 17 points, which means Oklahoma State will score 33. 33-17, Carson. That's my prediction. I like that a lot. I'm tempted to pick OSU to score more points with RG3 in the house. I can't pick them to score 59 like they did in uh, 2011. But, uh, man, I really liked the way the offense looked in the first half. I'm a little concerned about Jalen Warren getting such a giant workload. He's had nearly 60 carries in the past two games. Got to keep him fresh. Um, I do have concerns whether OSU can just straight up run it up on somebody offensively based on the way that the K-State game played out. But I'm, I'm picking OSU to win pretty handily here. I'm going to go o- Oklahoma State 38, Baylor 17. So okay. that's that's my pick. I think uh, – and I think Baylor scores a late touchdown at that. I think it might be 38 to, to 3 midway through the second half. That's kind of the way I, I see this game playing out. Can I just say, shout out Jim Knowles. Shout out to all the guys on those defense on that defense. We are confidently picking Baylor to not be able to get to 20. I mean, that's just (laughs) – What a world. It is such a luxury for your football team whenever you have that good of a defense where it's like, you know, the offense, I think they'll be good Saturday. They won't be spectacular. They're not going to put up 49 points or something crazy. They'll just go out and have a decent game, get in the mid-30s, and win easily. I mean, win (laughs) easily in the mid-30s. Shout out, Jim Knowles. Shout out to that defense. Yeah, that would be a a vintage 2011 performance. And uh, that's one area that 2011 team got docked is they'd be up – like they were against Baylor 49 to three and they give up 24 points total when they basically had third stringers out there for the, for the 21 points they gave up. I mean, that, that's how those, some of those scores got skewed is they were just, they just destroyed teams in the first half to where they had, they had backups playing, but I digress. Uh, let's get to the Christie university spirit uniform predictions brought to you by Christie university spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris university spirit.com. What unis you going with Colby? We've been kind of whiffing lately. We have been whiffing. This one's kind of tough to me because I feel like they might try to go some sort of 2011 Testament. Uh, A lot of those are kind of the same combos. I've bounced back and forth. I'm going to go orange, orange, black is my prediction for this weekend. Whoa, I don't think we've ever seen that combo, honestly. 
I think that they might try to go orange, orange, black, which I think as an ode to the 20, I think that'd be a really cool look. I don't think they've ever worn orange, orange, black. I no can't recall. Like no time like the present. Well, in that same vein, I think they're going to go straight up, give, give RG three, some, some nightmares, some, some twilight zone action. I think they're going to wear replicas of the 2011 year. Not, not exact replicas this year's version of the uniforms, but I think they're going to bust out the gray helmets that they wore against Baylor. They're going to go gray, orange, gray, which they wore. They, they haven't worn those kind of cue ball looking gray ones they wore against Baylor back in 2011 in a long time. They might go a different version, maybe a lighter gray, but I think they're going to go maybe the gray helmet that they wore on the road against Baylor a long time ago with like the kind of the matte gray, not matte, the uh, carbon fiber gray with like the white OSU logo, white face mask, orange jersey, gray pants. I think they're going to go straight up 2011 with it. Yeah, I've seen that picture of Whedon floating around this week with the gray, orange, gray. I thought about going there, but I'm just, I'm not a gray guy. So I struggle to pick the gray, even though I think it might be the go-to. Uh, so I think you might actually be on the right, the right page. Also, I was just looking back at the 2011 roster and some of the stuff. And on that defense, everybody always talks about Markel Martin and Broderick Brown, Jamie Blatnick, some of those guys. And we all, myself included, forget that the leading tackler on that team and a vastly underrated player was Dayton Lowe. That guy was so, so good. He had the most tackles on that team, the most solo tackles on that team. He was so, so good on the back end of that defense. The pride of Carl Albert. Uh, I saw him. He had a couple picks or a couple plays on that highlight video that Oklahoma State put out on, on Twitter. I was reminded of that, too, when, when I saw those plays. I'll tell you another guy that was underrated that might have been close to the leading tackler that no one ever talks about. He was a junior college player, former rugby player, Alex Elkins. He actually, he made a ton of plays in 2011, but he made the big uh, strip fumble of Landry Jones that Jamie Blatnick picked up that we all remember bumbling down the sidelines, got tackled at the one. He was a vastly underrated player, had a, had a monster game at Iowa State, the game they lost, but he had a pick in that game, I believe, just off the top of my head. He was just a, a freak athlete that was just all over the field. That that defense had a lot of underheralded guys besides, you know, obviously the obvious first team All American and Markel Martin and Jamie Blatnick as well. But they had just a lot of guys littered throughout that roster. Broderick Brown, the list could go on and on, Colby. But Alex Elkins is a guy that that doesn't get enough due on that team. Yeah, he was the second leading tackler on that team, just seven behind Dayton Lowe. Uh, by the way, solo tackles that year for Alex Elkins, sixty nine. Nice, well done, well played, sir. <laughs> Uh, Sean Lewis was so good on that team. Oh, he was great. Uh, I mean, Blatnick, we talk about Rashetti Jones, uh, Dion Amade, friend of mine was a good player on that defense. Like, I mean, those guys were loaded. Justin Zach Gilbert. Brown. Yeah. Justin Gr Gilbert. I mean, gosh, those guys were good. They were so good. Uh, it was, and you just, you wonder, did they just catch lightning in a bottle or can they, can they ever duplicate that? Cause we're sitting here 10 years later and they haven't had a team nearly in the, in that that caliber in, in my opinion so it was just a, a magical year helped having a, an older quarterback like Whedon who was just sensational but it's gonna be a lot of fun Colby seeing the, the the 2011 reunion there I really hope you know Josh said he hadn't heard from from Justin Blackman I hope he's able to make it there I hope they introduce him and the fans can give him the due that he deserves because again I think he is the most dominant football player not just receiver the most dominant football player my two eyes have ever witnessed in person it bar none there no one even comes close with what i saw that guy could roll out of bed and have 100 yards and two touchdowns and he basically did in, in just about every game that he played he was unguardable it was so much fun to watch 
He was unguardable. You knew if the ball went up in his direction, there was only one possible outcome, and it was so much fun to watch. Yes, it was. Colby, will uh, OSU is unbeaten. They have a chance to remain unbeaten before they go to Texas and Austin. So uh, it's going to be a fun weekend, Colby. Enjoy it, uh, and we'll get we'll catch up with you next week. Absolutely. Sounds good. Go Pokes.